Okay, now we're getting down to the meat and the potatoes of the, the book of Job. As we look at chapter 34, um, we saw in chapter 32 and 33 that uh, the friends have stopped speaking, Job has stopped speaking, and this strange person who has been silent for the whole book named Elihu, he has started speaking. And his his advice, his counsel, his speeches are different than what we've heard before. He is the only one of the friends, the counselors of Job, who God does not rebuke at the end. Um, he is the only one of the counselors of Job that Job does not refute uh, with his speeches. And so what he tells Job is basically uh, different than uh, what the friends have told him before. Uh, his, his main, the main thrust of his speeches is not that Job is suffering because he has sinned, that's what the other friends have told Job, tried to convince Job over and over again. The main thrust of his speech is that Job has sinned as he is suffering. And that's a, that's a different ball game. You see, um, what's going on is he doesn't try to explain Job's suffering. What he tries to do is to show Job that um, you have sinned in the midst of your suffering by uh, calling upon God to uh, judge your case, by calling upon God, uh, basically saying that you're, you are righteous and God is punishing you for no reason and he's unjust. Now, we saw this, these accusations start flying uh, uh, when, uh, you know, around, around chapter 27, 28, 29, Job started to... Um, started um, really railing against his friends and uh, by the end of his his speeches he was saying that uh, basically God is unjust for allowing this kind of suffering when Job himself is righteous and Elihu is is really talking to Job about um, what he has said rather than what he has done that's the major difference in Elihu's speeches he's not necessarily saying Job you have sinned and that's why you're going through this suffering basically he's saying Job you are sinning in the way that you're talking in the way that you're representing God and and we saw that in 32 and 33 and we'll see it again in 34 um, in the first in the first few verses, uh, Elihu is basically just saying, you know what, listen to me, I'm, go I'm going to talk to you. He says in verse 1, he says, Then Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men, and give ear to me, you who know, for the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. He's saying, listen carefully. He says, you judge what I'm saying. Now, I want you to listen. I'm going to present a case to you, and you listen to what I'm saying, and you judge what is right. Let us all get together and reason about what I'm about to tell you. Uh, and Elihu is basically going to, in the next few verses, he's going to accuse Job of disparaging God's justice. Uh, and, and he's right. If we go back, we can find the exact uh with the exact verses where Job says exactly what Elihu accuses him of saying. Um, he, he accused God of being unjust. In verse 5, it says, this is what Elihu says, For Job has said, I am in the right, and God has taken away my right. In spite of my right, I am counted a liar 
My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. Now, we have to really use balance here, and we have to be careful because God also said that Job was right, righteous in his sight at the beginning, and we know that doesn't mean sinless. Um, but here, Job is asserting that he is right. Job has declared his righteousness. Uh, and what he what he's done that is sinful, though, he's accused God of taking away his righteousness. He's accused God of falsely charging him with lying. He said, in spite of my right, my righteousness, I am counted as a liar. He's accusing God of being unjust with him. So, He's not um, not basically he's not basically saying that you know Job you're you shouldn't be saying that you're right. Uh, he's saying you shouldn't be saying that God is doing you wrong by allowing the suffering to go on. Uh, Job has he's accusing God of wounding him without cause. He says my wounds incurable though I am without transgression. And it is in this, if we read verses 7 through 9, it's in this that Elihu says that Job has joined the ranks of these evil men. Uh, verse 7, 8, and 9 say, What man is like Job who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he has said it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Now, if you're paying attention, if you're paying attention, uh, that sounds a whole lot like what his friends said. It sounds almost exactly. I mean, his friends spent the whole book saying, "Job, you're wicked. Job, you've you're, you've done all these bad things, and that's why God's allowing you to suffer." It sounds like. Elihu is basically saying the same thing as his friends, but he's not. What he is saying is, Job, by saying the things that you've said, you are keeping company with evildoers. He, he isn't saying that your suffering is because you have kept company with evildoers. Look what it says in verse 8. He says he's tra he travels or he's traveling with company in company with evildoers and walks, present tense, is walking with wicked men. And this is why, for he has said, this is the reason that he has taken company with wicked men. He's putting himself in the place of those wicked men and those evildoers by saying it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. <clears throat> by, by taking the attitude and the, giving voice to the feelings that Job has given, Elihu is charging him with uh, being a sinner, being evildoer. He's saying, you know, he's not saying you are uh, suffering because of your sin. He's saying you are sinning in the midst of your suffering. Um, he's not accusing Job of some secret sin like his friends did that caused this suffering. Um, he says that he's joined the wicked because of what he said in the midst of all this suffering. Um and Job did say it. He did say that, you know, what does it profit a man to delight in God? He's saying, you know, I've delighted in God. I've done all these wonderful things. I've done, you know, I've been righteous before him. I've followed his word. I've done his sacrifices. And yet here I am still suffering. So what profit is there? Um, Elihu says that, you know, this is the accusation that I bring against you. It's not that you were an evil man and God is punishing you for being evil, but God has allowed suffering in your life. You can't change that. You can't stop that. But you're sinning in the midst of this suffering. 
rather than trusting God, rather than calling out to God, rather than saying, God, you know, show me, you know, where I've gone wrong. Show me what you want me to learn. You are disparaging God's justice and saying that God is unjust in what he's doing. And my friend, that is a sin. That's what the, what he's telling him. So what he's going to do in the, the the next the next section, um, he's going to defend God's righteousness. Elihu's going to show Job that God is not unjust, and God has not treated him unjustly. Uh, verses ten through twelve says, "Therefore hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong." For according to the work of a man he will repay him, and according to his ways he will make it befall him. Of a truth God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Now, once again, when I when I first read this, you know, verse 11, I'm thinking that sounds just like what the friend said. You know, according to the work of a man he will repay him, according to his ways he will make it befall him. Um, but if you look, it is sandwiched in between verse 10 and verse 12, uh, which explain what he's talking about. He is not saying, Job, you have done something to deserve this, and this is why this is happening. What he's saying is that God will always be just. God will never do wickedly. God will never pervert justice. And that's what he's saying. Man will always get... Um, man, for according to the work of a man, he will repay him. And according to his ways, he will make it befall him. And as believers, we know that to be true. Um, of course, we've seen throughout the book that it's not necessarily in this life. Uh, a man who does good all his life, you know, is going to go through the same suffering that everybody else goes through uh, when they get elderly, when they get sickly, when tragedy happens, when things like that happen. But there's a reward waiting for those who trust and obey Christ. There's a reward waiting for those whose um, whose works follow them because of the the new heart that they have received. Um, what Elihu is is telling Job here is, Job, you've sinned in what you've said because God does not pervert justice. He is perfect. He is, never does wrong. He never does wickedness. He can never do wrong. He is perfectly just. Um, his point is that, you know, God is always just in his dealings with men. Uh, he's not saying that men earn blessing from God or anything like that. What he's saying is that Anything that God gives man, allows to man, it's perfect and it's just and it's right and it's righteous. Even if it hurts, even if it feels bad, according to his ways, he'll, he'll repay him. God is perfectly good. He cannot do evil. So for Job to say, you know, I am right, and even though I am right, God has counted me a liar, uh, it is for him to disparage God's justice. And uh, the basis for this, the basis for this is um, verses thirteen to fifteen, where Elihu asserts God's authority. Um, he is the. Um, it's not just that he does justly; he is the foundation of justice. We know what justice is because we know who God is. It's not that. Um, God's attributes reveal who he is. It's not just that God has determined, hey, I promise that I'll do just and I'll do right. It's that God, by his nature, 
is right. And he has the authority to do with man what he pleases. And that's a hard truth to accept. It's a hard truth to, to learn, especially for a creature to understand that his creator has authority over him. Verse 13, he's talking about God. He said, who gave him charge over the earth and who laid on him the whole world? Did anybody give God this power? No, sir. He was, he, he, he's got it on his own. He's God. Uh, verse 14 says, if he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to the dust. Now, take this. And combine it with what he said before. He said that, you know, it, God cannot do wickedly. God cannot do unjustly. Um, the fact that you're still breathing shows that God is good. The fact that God hasn't gathered himself, his spirit, his breath together and allowed you to perish already shows that he is good and he is merciful. And that's something that... Well, a lot of people need to get a hold of something I need to get a hold of. We all need to get a hold of it. Um, when things befall us and, you know, tragedy happens, um, the reality is the question we should ask is not why did God allow this to happen? The question we should ask is why hasn't God allowed it to happen before now? Um, God gives us every breath. He gives us every beat of our heart. He allows the sun to shine upon us every day that we're healthy. And, and you know, we just the manifold blessings of God are just they're just incalculable. Um, and so what Elihu is saying here is that God never does wickedly against man. He repays man based, you know, he repays man for his work. And he does that based on his own authority because in reality, if God were to withdraw his breath from man and take his life and allow him to perish, that in and of itself would be good. That in of, of itself would be righteous. Uh, think about it. I mean, the moment that you first sinned, or actually the moment that you know we were born in in Adam, but just take the first the first time that you sinned, it would have been right for God to strike you and I dead. The wages of sin is death, and so the, from the very moment that we first disobeyed His law, um, it would have been justice for Him to strike us dead because the wages of sin is death. But He didn't do that. He he, in most cases, he, he, he let us live. He let us live for years in some cases, multiple years, decades even, uh, thwarting his law, thwarting his, his uh, attempts to uh, draw us to himself and live in sin and do all the things we wanted to do, put other gods before him. He, he mercifully allowed that to go on until one day when he draws you to himself and you're saved or uh, your, your life ends. And so no man can say that God is unjust because he's allowed us to live even though we've sinned against him. No man can say that. If, uh, you know, I often put it this way, um, if good and evil are lined up on the football field against each other, uh, you and I are on the wrong side. We're on the evil side. We have, uh, our hearts are desperately wicked. We are full of sin. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've We've, um, you know, if we honestly assess our own hearts, we're going to see that we're on we're on the wrong team, and it's just by God's grace that He's allowed us uh, to live long enough to not be punished 
long enough that we could come to know his grace, that we could come to know his mercy, that we could come to know his love and the sacrifice that he gave. So that's what Elihu is basing this on. He's saying, you know, uh, God cannot do wickedly or pervert justice because, you know, if he if he should set his heart to it and gather himself, his spirit and his breath, then all flesh would perish together. Just the fact that you're breathing shows that God will not pervert justice, but he is good and he is merciful. Next, Job, uh, Elihu is going to talk specifically to Job. And he's going to say some things. He's going to say, Job, you know, you have... You've spoken falsely about God. Um, And here's the ironic thing is that Job has done exactly what he has accused God of doing. Job has accused God of being unjust with the righteous. Job says, I'm righteous and God, you're being unjust with me. Well, Job is accusing God who is righteous. And so Job is doing the exact same thing to God that he is um, that he is accusing God of doing. He is condemning the righteous. That's Job's problem. He says, God, you're condemning the righteous, therefore you're wrong, when the reality is Job is the one that's condemning the righteous. He's condemning God uh, for allowing suffering to come into his life. Verse 16 says, If you have understanding, hear this, listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty? You see that? He's saying you're condemning the one who is righteous. You're the one who's condemning the righteous. You're doing that, Job, not God. Uh, God is almighty and righteous, and you're condemning him by disparaging his justice. Uh, Job claimed God's injustice. You know, God was unjust because he was punishing Job even though he is righteous. But Job is doing the same thing to God. He is the one who is condemning God who is righteous. Uh, And he goes on to show Job that God is righteous in all his judgments. And this is the the bulk of the rest of the chapter. We'll see different at the end. But verse 18, he's going to... um, He's he's, uh, explaining God. He is showing the righteousness, the judgments of God. God judges impartially. Verses 18 through 20 says, Who says, this is God, who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. He says, God judges men impartially. He doesn't look at one and say, wow, he's a king. I'm going to treat him better than a poor man. No, they're all the work of his hands. They're all made in his image. God sees all men equally beneath him and that's a that's something that we need to make sure we bring out a lot of times we talk about god's impartiality and we say well god just sees us all the same and and we we place ourselves on a pedestal like we're higher than we ought saying god is you know he's looking down at us and and he's just so happy with us and we're all the same in his sight and all that no god sees us all the same but he sees us all as wicked and it's only by his grace only by his mercy that we come to know him And God will see the death of all, great and small, prince, king, rich, poor. Verse 20 says, in a moment they die. At midnight the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. He said, God will allow all to perish in the same way, whether they're rich whether they're poor, we're talking about physical death. Job, duh, you're going to go through suffering. If you live long enough, my friend, whoever you are, 
you're going to go through sickness. You're going to go through disease. Even if you're healthy your entire life, people around you that you love are going to pass away. Um, you will in experience suffering. Uh, no matter if you're rich, no matter if you're poor, no matter what you're going through. But what he's showing here is that God does not judge impartially. God has not shown partiality to other people and punished Job for no reason. Job has also said, you know, God, you just need to come hear my case. You need to come judge. You need to come, you know, explain all this. Well, Elihu's going to tell uh, Job that, you know, God already judges with perfect knowledge. He doesn't need to come down and check this situation out. He knows what the situation is, and he knows exactly what he's doing. For you to call him down and say, uh, I, you know, I'm calling you to court. You come judge and all. God already knows what's going on. He's His eye is on it. He's not a watchmaker that winds the watch up and just lets it run down. He's actively involved in the events that go on. Verse 21 says, For his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. For God has no need to consider a man further. This is what he's telling Job. Remember, Job called God, You need to come and consider my case. Verse 23 says, God has no need to consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, he overturns them in the night and they are crushed. He said, look, you can't call God out on the carpet and say, come before me and judge, you know, come consider my case. Verse 23 says, God has no need to consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. God knows exactly what's going on. He's intimately involved in what's going on, and he judges with perfect knowledge. Not only does he judge impartially, but he judge, judges with perfect knowledge. And he judges openly. He doesn't judge in secret. Verse 26 says, he strikes them for their wickedness in a place for all to see. Because they turn aside from following him and have no regard uh, of any of his ways. He's not necessarily talking about Job here and his affliction, but he's talking about God. And he's speaking about God's justice and God's judgment. Verse 28 says, So that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him, and he heard the cry of the afflicted. What he's doing is not blaming Job. He's not telling Job why he's suffering. What he's doing is he is showing Job that God is just. And God is righteous, and his judgments are just, and they are righteous. He's told Job that God judges impartially. He told He's told Job that God judges with perfect knowledge of the situation. There's nothing hidden that he doesn't understand. And he's told Job that God judges openly before all men. All men can see it. He doesn't do anything in secret. He doesn't do anything behind closed doors, anything behind where, where man cannot see or where uh, no one knows when it comes to judgment against men. And in verse 29, he says that judgment is going to come to everyone eventually. It's inevitable. It's just going to happen. He said, when he is quiet, and this is Job's problem, God hasn't answered him. Job has called for judgment, but God hasn't answered him. And so Elihu says, you know, if God decides to wait to judge, if he decides to wait to answer you, who are you to say that that's injustice? That's not injustice. That's just timing. 
so often we're like that. We're a God answer me, and God God gives no answer when we want it, and we cry foul, we cry injustice. When the reality is, God has just decided not to answer us at this time. Verse twenty nine says, "When he is quiet, who can condemn? When he hides his face, who can behold him? Whether it be a nation." Or a man, that a godless man should not reign, that he should not ensnare the people. He's saying if God chooses not to show up when he chooses, who can condemn him for that? When he hides his face, who who can seek him out? It's not for man to say when God should bring judgment or when God should bring answer or when God should bring word. You know, it's not... Uh, uh, it's not for man to do. He's got his own reasons, and his reasons are that a godless man should not reign and that he should not ensnare the people. He is teaching us to be like Christ. He's teaching us faith. He's teaching us uh, um, what it means to love him and to trust him. Uh, if he gave you all the answers today, you wouldn't need to trust him. Um, so that's what he's saying. He's uh, Elihu has basically um, laid out a case showing that God is just, even though Job has said, you know, he is unjust. And finally, in the last seven verses, Elihu's going to turn his attention to Job, and he's going he's gonna to show Job, you know, you have spoken very pridefully toward God. You have been very arrogant, and now it's time for you to turn and be humble. It's time for you to show humility. Toward God, verse thirty-one says, "For anyone, for has anyone said to God, I have borne punishment; I will not offend any more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more." Uh, look what he's saying. He's not condemning Job for his for some sin that we don't know about, but what he is saying, he's saying that he's told us that God is just. God is righteous in all his judgments. He cannot do wicked. So the proper response when uh, when we're wondering if our suffering is punishment is not to just come at God and say, you need to come and judge my case. No, the proper response is to say, I have borne punishment. I will not offend anymore. Teach me what I do not see. It's a difference between uh, demanding judgment, demanding uh, a, a hearing, and asking to be taught, asking to be taught. If I have done iniquity, I will do. I will do it no more. If there's something in me that I'm that's wrong, uh, I, I, I want it out. So teach me what I don't see. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between saying, "God, you're not fair. You're not right. How could you do this to me?" And saying, "God, teach me what I teach me what I don't understand." Um, Job should be humble toward. Uh, even unintentional sins that, of course, we all have. And uh, verse 33, Job should not expect God to justify what Job has said. I mean, can you imagine what the God of the universe thinks when a man hollers, how dare you do this to me? Come and judge my case. Verse 33 says, will he then make repayment to suit you? Because you reject it, because you reject what God's doing, you think he's going to make a repayment to suit you? He says, for you must choose and not I, therefore declare what you know. He's saying, he's saying, you know, you shouldn't think that, you know, God's going to change just because you reject the way he's doing things, buddy. Uh, you better choose. You're going to have to choose pride or humility. You're going to have to choose 
uh, how you come to God. Are you going to come demanding judgment? Are you going to come demanding your case to be heard? Uh, I don't suggest you do that <laughs> because uh, you, you and I wouldn't fare very well. But we can come to him and say, I will not offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. He's saying, well, I love that verse 33. Will he then make repayment to suit you? You think he's going to repay you? Because you reject the way that he has is ordered his universe, uh, and and then here we get to the, the the final few verses of the chapter. Job has sinned in his words. Uh, we're not talking about some sin that has caused this suffering or anything like that. We don't know what's caught. Well, we know the readers know what's caused the suffering, but the people in the story, Job and his friends, and they don't know what's caused the suffering. And Elihu's not trying to tell Job what has caused his suffering, but what he is doing is he is reprimanding Job for how Job has responded in his suffering. Uh, he's sinned in his words. Job is, he's not simply mistaken. You don't take the tack, you know, because if you were, if you love Job, let's say Job was your brother or your friend or your, your father or your son, you would probably come to Job's aid here and you would say, you know what? He just didn't understand. He, he's suffering. You just got to give him a break. He didn't understand what he was saying. He just, you know, Elihu is not going to allow that um, testimony to be entered into evidence. That is not a valid excuse. He's he's going to make sure Job knows, Job, you have sinned by calling God unjust. Verse 34, it says, men of understanding will say to me, these, these wise men who hear me will say, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. He's They're going to make excuses for Job. They're going to say, you know what? He, he just doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what he's saying. You just give him a break. You know, he's He's uh, just mistaken. He's no insight. He's speaking without knowledge. Elihu wants him to know, no Job, you've taken a high-handed view of God here. You, you've set yourself up and said, God, you come down here and you try my case because I'm innocent of all things. I'm innocent and I have done no wrong. And we know that that's true. The What, what we're seeing here is, is that Job has come right up to the line of his righteousness. And and he is righteous. God said he was righteous, not because he's sinless, but because of the sacrifices. Job has come right up to that line, and he says, I am righteous. Therefore, since God is allowing this to happen to me, God is unjust. And that's where his sin that's where his sin began, and that's what Elihu is chastising him for. Uh, Job has sinned in the midst of his trials. Um, here Elihu says, buddy, I wish that God would come down here and try you and put your, put your, uh, put your words on trial to hear your case uh, because you're answering God just like wicked men do. Uh, you have added rebellion uh, to, your, uh, to your suffering. Verse 35, or excuse me, 36 says, Would that Job were tried to the end, because he answers like a wicked man. Notice what Elihu's saying. Elihu is not saying, he's not trying to identify why Job is suffering. He is identifying the sin that has, is going on in the midst of Job's suffering. He's rebuking Job for how he has responded to his suffering. It says, would that Job were tried to the end because he answers like wicked men. That's the problem. It's not that Job has done wickedness, that he sinned, that he hadn't helped the poor and all those things. He answers 
This has come into his life, and he answered it like wicked men, for he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands amongst us and multiplies his words against God. It's all about what Job has said. That is the... um, that's the rebuke that Elihu is giving Job. It's not about what you've done in the past or how you haven't helped the elderly or the widow. Or the, it's nothing about that. It's about what you have said. I've sat here. This is Elihu speaking. I've sat here and listened to all this, and everything was fine. Everything was good. Job started out wonderfully. He says, you know, whatever God decides, that's good. I'm good with it. But as Job's suffering increased, as his as his pain and torment increased, as the friends or the counselors that were supposed to be making him feel better were increasing his suffering, Job continually uh, and on an increasingly bigger scale began to question God's justice. And in the in the final speech of Job, we see that he actually questioned whether, uh, you know, whether it was even beneficial to serve God if he's going to end up like this. You know, he, I wish I would die. You know, it'd been better for me to whatever. And so, what he's saying is, Elihu is saying, you know, you are answering these sufferings like wicked men do. Uh, you might not have started out as a wicked man and had that caused all this suffering, but this suffering is turning you into a wicked man. You're adding rebellion. To, to your sin, you're adding rebellion to the suffering that you're going through. You're going through all this suffering, and it's uh, heaped upon you. There's no doubt about that. But you're adding rebellion on top of that. You're clapping your hand, hands among us and multiplying your words against God. Um, he's saying he's rebuking him for that. And we see that uh, Elihu is, he is the voice of, of reason, I guess you could say. Um, in the in the midst of these guys, and we're going to see that up through uh, Elihu speaks until chapter thirty seven, and uh, and we're finally getting some answers here. If you think about it, from the very beginning of the book of Job, we've been asking questions. Job, you know, why why is Job going through this suffering? Job's been asking why why am I going through this? Why is this happening? Why you know why 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 why? And uh, there's no no answers offered to Job. No answers. The the counselors aren't any good. They're not any comfort to him. Um, but here, Elihu is finally giving him some truth. And that truth is not, hey, this is why you're suffering. Um, God's going to show up in, in, in chapter 38. And from there to the end, God's basically going to tell Job, hey, it's not your place to ask why. Who do you think you are? I'm God. I'm the one who created. I'm the one who, you know, put the stars in the sky. I'm the one who's running this universe. So it's not up to you to tell me what's just and what's not just. I'm, who do you think you are? Um, we're not going to get a definitive answer as to, you know, other than what we already have. The devil came and said, you know, let me test Job. That's the only answer to the suffering that we're going to get. Job's not going to get a satisfactory answer. But what he is going to see, what we are starting to see, is that this book is about how to handle our suffering how to deal with our suffering. Does it mean that you're not going to grieve? Does it mean that you shouldn't ask God why? You know, I'm I'm sitting in my office at Jackson General Hospital right now as I'm recording this, and an hour ago I left a woman who was uh, just, you know, uh, just brought into hospice 
uh, you know, with uh, terminal cancer. And she, that was her question. Why is God doing this to me? And in that instance, you know, I can't bring all this to bear on her. I can't tell her, hey, you're a sinner just like me. And, you know, we deserve worse than this. And, you know, but what I can do is I, I can tell her that uh, that suffering is something that we all go through. And, of course, you, in, in that instance, you just have to, you know, she's going through the stages of grief, and you have to just uh, let that happen, and you have to, you know, just guide her through those toward the truth of God. Um, but the reality, the reality that we see here is that the the message that's starting to come clear in the book of Job is not why we suffer, but how we should respond to suffering. And that, that response can be with grief. It can be with heartache. It can be with sorrow. Job has been sorrowful through the whole book, you know, and he, he, he hasn't, he hasn't um, questioned God or called God unjust until, until the, the later chapters because his suffering has been intensified. And so uh, the message of the book that's becoming clear is this is how we should handle suffering. And of course, we know that in the end of the book, God is going to return, you know, all the things Job lost. He's going to have more children and and all those things. Job is, is the righteous man. But the lesson that we learn is that uh, suffering is real and dealing with it is real. And it's not, you know, I could say this is how you should respond. And that's easy for me to say as I sit here in this chair. But when suffering hits you, it hits you like a ton of bricks. And um, there's no, uh, there's... Uh, there's no amount of reason. There's no amount of logic. There's no amount of, of, uh, of anything that can prepare you for that kind of suffering. The only thing that can is uh, the truth of God. And that's the message that's coming out in the book of Job as we're, as we're studying it.